2: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are
1: waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for
2: details. Hello, creeps. It's me, John Casier, the voice of the Crypt Keeper. and you're listening to Chronicles from the Crypt. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hello there, I'm Casualty Chris.
1: And this is Father Malone.
0: We are the hosts of Chronicles from the Crypt, a a twice-a-month look at the cult horror anthology series, Tales from the Crypt. That aired on HBO from 1989 to 1996.
1: Now, on each of our podcasts, we're gonna be co- we're going to be tackling two episodes of Tales from the Crypt, and along the way, we're gonna have some bonus episodes about movies and TV shows that are kind of based on the show, like a game show and a kids' cartoon series, and uh, some other uh, tangentially related tales material.
0: So, on this episode of Chronicles from the Crypt, we're gonna be talking about season two, episode nine and ten, Four Sided Triangle and the ventriloquist dummy
2: she loves me she loves me not she loves me she loves me not what do flowers know about love anyway well hello there boils and duels just getting in the mood for tonight's tawdry tale. A story of love and lurid blast in the dust. <laughs> sure to arouse the sickies amongst you to some heavy breathing. A tale I call Four-Sided Triangle. Four-Sided Triangle
0: was aired May 29, 1990. It's directed by Tom Holland, written by Tom Holland and James Tugend stars Patricia Arquette, Chelsea Ross, and Susan Blomert, and the episode centers around Chelsea Ross as a farmer who is obsessed with Patricia Arquette's nubile young woman who helps out with the chores. The problem is, she may or may not be in love with a scarecrow. Now, before you say anything, Mike, I just want you to understand, multiple times watching this episode this evening, I said to my wife, I fucking hate this episode. I hate that we're having to watch it for this. I hate that I'm having to watch it again. (laughs) And I have a physically- adverse reaction to watching this episode. I really don't like this episode.
1: But we're talking about one of the best episodes of Tales from the Crypt of all time. I
0: swear to God you're kidding right
1: Yeah, no, this is not a good episode. I mean, I don't think I hated it as much as you did.
0: I I can't tell, is Chelsea Ross's character and Patricia Arquette's character supposed to be mentally retarded because that's hmm. kind of what they're going for and if that's not what they're going for, that's the way it comes off and I don't know how to react to it because it's just so, the, the choices that are made for the characters in this episode are so strange that it just, yeah. it defies explanation.
1: It certainly does. Um, okay, now, uh, just to get to the nuts and bolts of it, this is not a Tales from the Crypt adaptation. This is a shock suspense story. Surprise, number 17. It was actually written by Carl Wessler and drawn by the late, great Jack Kamen. I'm going to let me talk about Jack Kamen just for a second because uh, if you don't know Jack Kamen, you probably have heard of his son, Dean Kamen, who uh, who created the segue. But anyway, uh, and, then, and uh, let me take that as a segue to. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> now, in the oh, comic you've been book, to do
0: that one all week, haven't you?
1: I, you know what? I haven't. It. it just came to me, and I regretted it instantly. Anyway, um, the comic—it is—it's uh, uh, almost. Exactly the same story. It is about, um, you know, this young girl who is working on a farm for this sort of uh, not elderly couple, but they're pushing it. And uh, the the wife is kind of a crone that won't sleep with the guy anymore. And he has designs on the girl um, in the comic. They point out over and over again that she is, in fact, feeble minded or a halfwit. And has fallen in love with a scarecrow in their cornfield. And uh, she rebuffs this old man's advances because she's saving herself for her man. Um... They do something different in this where I, I'm assuming Patricia Arquette robbed a liquor store or a convenience store and was on the run, and they took her in, and now they're using her um, as sort of a forced slave labor on their farm with the threat that they're going to turn her into the police uh, if um, uh, she, she doesn't do as she's told. And um, so – Yeah, I mean, it has origins where at least her character is supposed to be sort of uh, mentally impaired, Um, but I don't think it's meant to be that in this. Nevertheless, uh, she does kind of come off that way. I think maybe by the end like uh she was sort of just playing this part so she could get away from them but i, I kept thinking uh during the entire episode like at any time she could just walk away i mean they, they kind of tell her that she's like 60 miles from anywhere but you know you could probably get pretty far on foot like with these old people like particularly the uh the the, the female character is uh, in a leg brace she can't really walk all that far um but uh you know I, I didn't hate it as much as you did. I think it wasn't great. I'm very disappointed that it was Tom Holland who directed this one because he's directed uh, some of my favorite films, and uh, you know he even had a hand in writing this one. But um, yeah, um, not great overall.
0: I just, you know, I think it's again this this whole love triangle thing. <laughs> I'm really sick of it because this is again another love triangle. Any way you cut it, any way you slice it, any way you dice it. <laughs> Anyway, you stab it with a pitchfork. This is a love triangle episode. So much so that that's the title of the episode. Yeah. And there's nothing supernatural about it. Nothing. Nothing. There's nothing. Even even though the idea that possibly the scarecrow is alive because she kind of hallucinates it, that's fine. It never is the case it's used as a kind of a bait and switch device for the end of the episode, but you know where the episode's going pretty quickly on. You kind of you're just kind of curious as to how it's going to end exactly. But Mm. the performances are so strange. And Patricia Arquette, again, acting like she's mentally handicapped. Maybe she is. Maybe she isn't. I don't know. Like you said, in the comics, like you said, it is. That was a choice they made. But in, in the episode, they don't say that. And then Chelsea Ross, when they introduce him, Seems like he's mentally handicapped. He almost seems like he is the other hired help, like a you know, like <laughs> Lenny from of mice and men. And then it sure. turns out that he is her husband, uh, and he's like perving it up on Patricia Arquette, which by the way, Patricia Arquette is a beautiful woman. Then, now, forever. And Yeah.
1: Yeah, I kinda of felt like a perv myself even watching this episode. Oh, yeah, she's but, like, 20, like she's like twenty two years old here, and I'm just like staring at her like, Oh my god, she's so gorgeous. Uh no, this anyway. episode is like it really is
0: she's never wearing a bra ever in this episode she is braless you can see her breasts pretty much in every scene uh and one scene you can see part of her ass and it's 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 not look this is tales from the crypt it's kind of pulpy so it's kind of i get what they're going for but it's a little much
1: curse you tom holland for putting us in the mind of the perv
0: Right well it's like look okay you know she's a, a beautiful woman like i said but yeah. it's it just it feels uncomfortable and it it it
1: does only because it doesn't feel like um it, it, when we first sort of meet Chelsea Ross's character and he's yeah, like peeping on her like we do need to understand it from his perspective and I get that. But then we kind of just keep going back. He, like He keeps having dreams about her where it's even like slow-mo versions of things we've seen and like more close-ups of her cleavage or like her bent over. And it just – yeah, it felt like uh, a really exploitative at that point.
0: Well, and again, I couldn't tell if he was mentally handicapped or not. So that added like another layer of just like, is it like a mentally handicapped man and another mentally handicapped character? You know, I just I didn't know. And it's just it weirded me out. And the whole thing with the scarecrow is so fucking dumb. (laughs) Like, I just I'm in love with a scarecrow is not a line that should be uttered in anything. (laughs) <laughs> because it sounds so, it sounds so dumb and so dorky and so goofy and yeah, it's Tales from the Crypt but the one scene that they have is her having like been knocked over the head with a bottle and he's like reaching out to her and that's it?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I, I, did sort of anticipate a more supernatural ending for it, not just that she hallucinated it.
0: Like, I always remember this episode incorrectly in that the Scarecrows do come to life and, like, murder the shit out of these people.
1: Yeah, I was kind of hoping for that. I, I hoped for it the first time I saw it, and I was kind of hoping for it again, even though I knew that that was not the case.
0: And that's, again, I think that's the other problem I have with this episode. It feels like a missed opportunity.
1: Yeah. But uh, before we rail on it some more, uh, let's just mention uh, Susan Blomart. Blamart? Blomart? Blamart. Susan Blomart. Susan Blomart. There we go. I got to it eventually. Um... Uh uh she's great man. Uh I love her. Uh she is a character actress. You would know her instantly if you saw her. Um and I will always fondly remember her from around this time period. Uh she started an episode of The X-Files. One of the my Andy favorite if not my Litz. favorite. Oh my yes, god. Yes, The Hand of yeah, uh, written by uh, Glenn Morgan and James Wong about a, a satanic high school or like a, a group of Satanists in a high school who uh, have actually summoned the devil but are not in any way prepared for uh, what she has in store for them. And uh, and uh, Susan Blummer plays the devil. She is so fucking scary in that episode um, while also being um, – kind of charming about it. Um, I was uh, really disappointed that she never came back on the series. I was always kind of waiting for her. Um, She's wildly underrated there. I've said it again. And uh, I I think she does a good job in this. All the acting, I think, is actually pretty good. I like Chelsea Ross a lot. I think uh, um, I I will always remember him from uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey as the uh, sort of uh, commandant of the military school that they're threatening to send Ted to. Um, And, you know, Patricia Patricia Arquette is Patricia Arquette. Geez. She's, she's, you know, if you like her, you like her. If you don't, you don't.
0: And this is three years removed from Dream Warrior, so so that's why she's in this. She's in this because of Dream Warriors, by the way.
1: Uh, totally. I mean, yeah. I mean, you, you definitely. And um, you know, the, it, I always appreciate when you see an actor, um, in their career getting better uh, at their craft. And I think uh, this is like a step up from kind of the stuff she was doing in uh, uh, Dream Warrior. So, um. I think this is a step towards uh, a more uh, um, well-formed, creative personality, but um, Jesus Christ, it's not a good episode.
0: I feel like the thing that would have made this episode better and it probably would have fixed it in my mind is instead of having the two characters seemingly mentally handicapped at the end, have the character of Mary Jo played by Patricia Arquette, have the payoff be that she was like getting, you know, egging them on the whole time and that it was yeah that's thing.
1: what i was hoping for right and
0: they kind of like they have that at the end but like they needed to be a little bit more explicit with it and show like she's not a dullard she actually was planning this to get rid right.
1: of right yeah and as soon as it happens i was like oh man maybe she she pulled a fast one on them but it doesn't feel that way it feels like she just recognizes an opportunity and takes it and then sort of uh and is able to escape like uh the, the, and you know what? Let's just talk about the fucking Scarecrow for a second because, first of all, the, the clown mask was stupid. The corncob pipe was off-putting. Um, it didn't come off as scary or funny or interesting in any way. It's the worst Scarecrow I've ever seen. And uh, so, uh, you know, effectively, the, the, the character, Patricia Arquette's character, like Mary Jo, she, she's in love with the Scarecrow. And she sneaks out every night to, like, go frolic with it. And she's hoping it will come alive to make love to her. So this guy has finally figured out, like, maybe if I just go get in the Scarecrow outfit, I can fuck this girl. Um, But they telegraph to us instantly that it's him in there. So when his wife shows up and starts slamming it with a pitchfork, we already know he's in there. It's like there's no shock to it. There's no surprise to it. And it doesn't feel like these reprehensible characters should feel any of my or your sympathy. So it's just like the ending is so telegraphed that it like robs it of any potential um, shock. And uh, like – you know if you read the comic book like I said it's this feeble character and she she is in love with this scarecrow and she's waiting for him to come to life and he does this thing but then the wife shows up and starts slamming the hell out of it but as a reader you don't know that it's the husband Uh, they somehow pulled that off in the comic and they were unable to hear um other than the fact that they showed a close-up of the guy's eyes before anything happens, I don't know, man. It is a it is a failure of an episode.
0: Yeah, it's an episode that it, I like. You said I think it, it just it fails it fails where it really shouldn't, and it shouldn't have had this hard a time <laughs> at being successful. It really yeah. shouldn't have. And the title alone is just like so dumb. Four sided triangle because she. There's I don't a like it. Triangle with the scarecrow. Really? Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a total skip for me, without a doubt. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean it's uh it's not as bad. That is some of the ones we've seen, but I can't recommend it. I'm going to say skip it.
0: And again, it's also another Love Triangle episode, so great. Enough! Enough of them! So let's talk about the next episode, Ventriloquist Dummy.
2: Good evening, fear fans. You're just in time. Compton's one ventriloquist dummy, Hack Me Novelty Company, Battle Shriek, Michigan. Oh, goody. Watch this, kiddies. You won't see my lips move. You know why? I don't have any. Well, hello, Dickie. Would you like me to tell a tale from the crypt? No, thanks, guest And Then how about sitting a little closer to the fire? Better. Now I can dole out a diseased little ditty about the schizophrenic nature of showbiz and how to hack your way to the top. So grab hold of your guts, kiddies, because tonight you get to rub elbows with the ventriloquist's dummy.
0: Episode aired June 5th, 1990, directed by Richard Donner, written by Frank Darabont. Stars Don Rickles and Bobcat Goldthwait, and it centers around a amateur ventriloquist played by Bobcat Goldthwait, who learns that being a ventriloquist might not be the best career for him from his childhood idol played by Don Rickles. Uh, I'm going to kind of go on a limb here and say that this episode is very much like for crying out loud for me.
1: yeah. I, I, I'd agree with that.
0: I remember it a lot more fondly than when I went back and watched it.
1: That's funny because, um, yeah, I mean, that was my reaction to for crying out loud. Like, I, I remember liking it a lot and then watched it again. I thought, like, well, it's, it's serviceable. but I mean, it's pretty good. Uh, this one, I remember thinking uh, that it was OK initially, and I liked it a lot more now.
0: Yeah, it's not, it's not a, I'm not saying it's a bad episode, I just feel like the parts that are good get outweighed by the really, (laughs) the really weak ending. The ending that is like, that falls kind of flat.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's meant to be, you know, a twist upon a twist upon a twist when the initial things were just fine, um... So uh, let me just point out that this one is actually based on a Tales from the Crypt comic, Tales from the Crypt number twenty-eight. And it was it's actually co-written a supernatural by.
0: Natural episode, so what a surprise!
1: Yeah, I know, right? Uh, this was written by uh, Bill Gaines and Al Feldstein, the, the the creative team behind the entire run of uh, the the comics, and uh, it was actually drawn by Graham Angles, who is right up there with Jack Kamen, um as far as uh, the, the the best of the EC artists. In fact. Uh, they pay a bit of tribute to Mr. Engels when they name uh, the Don Rickles character his name is Ingalls as well uh, they change that from the original comic uh, and speaking of the original comic uh, this one is uh, yet another one where they strayed enough from the material to make it more interesting than what they initially had because uh, the original comic it's just this guy's agent who hasn't had the guy the, like the guy's been retired for a while but he sort of stops in to see how he is because he's now booking a new hotel and he figures the guy could probably use some work even though he's had kind of a shady past and uh and there's no sort of uh 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 like hero worship going on here or like you know a, a span of time from like childhood to adulthood um it's just the guy gets the guy brings him to the the new club and then everything sort of uh, falls apart um Having said that, like I, I do really like this episode, but my main complaint with it, other than as you said, like the too many twists is um, it feels a little like Star Wars humor. Like you see like a joke in a Star Wars movie. It's not actually funny, but all the characters are laughing for some reason and the audience is laughing too because that's their level of humor. None of the jokes, the actual jokes that are being told on stage are funny at all. But you're seeing an audience like laugh as if it's the funniest thing they've ever heard. And that drives me crazy in any filmed entertainment.
0: Yeah, I could see that. I mean, my other thing is I love Bobcat and I love Don Rickles. And it's just... I wish this, this were a little bit better of an episode because they're such great comedians and they're so funny, like you said. They don't really they do not really do much with them. They just kind of... No,
1: I mean, certainly not the humor level. And, right. uh, you know, uh, let me just point out for a second, Don Rickles is a really good dramatic actor. Uh, he, You know, he, he, we know he's a shock comic and an attack comic, but, like, uh, on occasion, like, man, he put in great goddamn performances. Like, you know, Casino is a good example of oh, that. yeah,
0: Billy Sherbert in Casino is, I mean, one of his, like, last film roles. I mean, and that was in the 90s. But I mean, he was doing TV pretty much from then on. And, you know, Mr. Potato Head and Toy Story. But that doesn't that that's a different different ballpark completely. But one of his last one of his last movie roles was Casino.
1: Yeah, he's spur- spurlative in that. Uh, he's also in one of my favorite movies from the 60s, uh, a Roger Corman film called X, the man with the X-ray eyes, which he does not play a funny character at all. He's a conniving son of a bitch in it. He's really good. Um, So it's always good to see him doing a dramatic role. I don't know what it is where comics can do dramatic roles really well, but dramatic actors can't necessarily pull off comedic roles. Um, That's an interesting dynamic. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't think the story is as good as those guys. Uh, nevertheless, it goes for it. The episode and Richard Donner here uh, goes for it in ways that I thought other episodes were lacking, particularly in the gore department. Uh, there are some winsworthy worthy moments uh, near the end involving a cleaver uh, that uh, that I thought was great.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. You know, again, this is more of a supernatural episode than a, a goddamn love triangle. Thank the Lord above because I was
1: yeah, thank you.
0: really trying to figure out if this show was just some sort of weird like daytime soap opera thing uh or like an investigation discovery show because that's really what it was going for with these last couple of like love triangle again love triangle again it's like Jesus Christ this show has yeah. the intro with a dead undead zombie crypt keeper puppet and you're just going with these like fucking love triangles guys come on yeah the undead talking creature at the beginning of the show and we're not doing supernatural stuff come on
1: yeah what and, is happening
0: right and so with this episode it's a little supernatural not really I mean it reminds me a lot of the freak show episode of the x-files
1: yeah 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 oh definitely
0: right the vincent uh Skivelli episode
1: where it's like well, yeah I, like yeah a... i thought that too while i was watching it that's funny yeah.
0: which i mean again this is a don rickles is situation is a little different but at the same time it's it's an interesting episode it's a fun episode it's not funny the way that it should have been when you've got don rickles and bobcat in one episode and i like i said love both of them and then the ending is so awesome. Unbelievably stupid. That it almost takes everything that the episode did right and just squanders it because the ending has Bobcat saying, "Okay, hand twin of Don Rickles, who he cut (laughs) off and then died. That (laughs) thing didn't die for whatever reason. It, yeah, that's a
1: little suspect,
0: right? Let me have you be the puppet and you can continue on what Don Rickles was doing, but now you don't have to be connected to him. And for some reason, Bobcat." is sticking his hand in the puppet and then the puppet becomes his hand. And by the puppet, I mean the little monster twin. Morty becomes part of his hand by jamming his... I don't even understand what happens. He jams himself onto his hand and then there's like a really shitty um practical effect shot that they show for like two seconds because i think even they realize how dumb it looks and how unconvincing it is of like the hand meshed with the morty puppet and i'm just like oh god okay all bets are off this episode really had no idea how to end
1: yeah yeah that's the thing the you know in that original comic it's uh the the guy like chops the hand off and they both die and uh that was enough um You know, it's one of those cases where they uh, want to go further and they want to freak you out even more, but it doesn't make a lick of sense. Like you said, like this creature is attached to Don Rickles hand. Or is his hand effectively, and so when he chops it off, that thing's gonna die. The blood loss is massive. Uh, there's no way it can. It's going to continue. Uh, never mind. Find a way to slowly morph itself into Bobcat's hand. It does. Uh, yeah. It. It left. It, it doesn't leave you shocked. It just leaves you confused. And that's not how you want to end Tales from the Crypt.
0: And look, are we are we nitpicking maybe, but at the same time, Don Rickles' character dies. So if his character yeah. didn't die, then there'd be nothing to nitpick here. But his character dies. So
1: Well, he well, he gets his throat ripped out. See, you can right. chop off your hand and bleed everywhere and uh still go on.
0: Yeah. Apparently No,
1: no, 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 that's not true. He yeah, he <laughs> <laughs> He was gonna die anyway, man. In fact he probably should have died of blood loss.
0: Right. And that's the the and again, like the way this episode should have ended was he goes, you know, uh the thing where he like pops the Morty pup the Mor- Morty into the air and hits him. What he should have done is he should've popped him in the air and hit him, hit him into the puppet case, and then he takes the puppet case and throws it into the lake.
1: Yeah, something.
0: Yeah, and then he's like, fuck the end. being
1: a You know what, man? If you stuck him in that meat grinder and ground him up and it was horrible and the thing screaming and everything, I would have been satisfied with that too.
0: Like Gremlins, but- like in Gremlins 2 where the, the puppet gets stuck in the paper shredder and it's like yeah. completely ballistic. Yeah, or grind it up or just do something that screams this is Tales from the Crypt, not... A really ridiculously goofy ending because the ending just completely undoes a lot of the end of the episode.
1: Yeah, and and I was really with the episode till then. I mean, barring the lame jokes on stage where people are actually laughing, like I could I can look beyond that and just go, okay, I'm uh, you know I'm suspending disbelief in that case. But I you know I like these two characters and I like where it's going and you know it's all good. It's all good right up until uh, they make a deal to sort of uh you know be together. And, and wear a stupid he, Panama hat.
0: And why would they make that deal when he knew that that thing was like a sociopath?
1: Yeah, right. I mean, just on a on a simple uh, a, <laughs> a simple level of this thing is a sociopath. I don't know. It's. Uh, the ending doesn't make a lick of sense. If you, maybe, you know what? If you had ended this episode like right after, uh, you know, as soon as he starts putting him in the meat grinder, uh, turn it off, and then you've got a great episode.
0: I, I, I agree. And again, this episode is a watch, but I do think you kind of just have to turn it off, right? As he's yeah. starting to grind up the little morty creature hand creature because past that it becomes it's like it's like the dark tower you know the final book of the dark tower it's like if you want the nice ending stop reading now if you want to ruin the book for yourself you know read a, read on and have the yeah. complete series ruined for you it's like the same thing just just turn it off walk away
1: and and you will have seen a really good episode
0: Yeah, but the ending makes it so... The ending hurts this episode more than most endings for episodes have hurt them up until this point.
1: Yeah. I do like it better than his initial uh, episode, the Dig That Cat, He's Real Gone. I think he he gets the tone a lot better this time. Um, But...
0: uh... I like Dig That Cat, He's Real Gone more than this episode. Yeah. I think it has a better mm -hmm. ending. The ending overall, from start to finish, it's a little goofy at the beginning. But I think that the, the... the story and the arc you take with the character is it makes sense from a to b to c it makes sense and it and yeah the character in that episode gets his comeuppance but it's deserved and it makes sense the, the right. character that bobcat plays in this episode is almost a cypher you know nothing about him other than he wants that's yeah, true
1: request. Well, ultimately, I'll say watch it. You know, I, I, you should see it. It's, you know, it's worthwhile. As a, as a lesser Tales episode, um, it works. It works certainly better than the fucking vast array of fucking uh, love triangles we've been subjected to.
0: Well, that is going without saying, I think, obviously. Yeah. At this point, this is a refreshing walk in the right direction from the Love totally. Triangle episodes that we've had. So, Well, next two episodes we're going to be talking about, season two, episode 11 and 12, are not Love Triangles, so prepare yourself for that. We're going to be talking about Judy, You're Not Yourself Today and Fitting Punishment. One of those episodes is a just a total dour, bummer, really bleak episode. If you don't know which one... You'll find out on the next episode. We're actually going to be joined by our good friend, award winning writer, Jess Byard. So she's going to come join us and talk about Tales from the Crypt and those are some pretty interesting episodes to talk about because I feel like we're going to have a lot to talk about. Until then, where can people find you, Mike?
1: Oh, well, You can always find me on my YouTube channel, Odd5Films. Check out my series You've Never Seen. I uh, sort of reevaluate some movies that have fallen by the wayside or never got their due to begin with. You can also hear me on another podcast called Dreams for sale the twilight zone 85 podcast uh where uh, i my uh, i myself and uh, mike white and this uh, crazy son of a bitch i'm talking to right now uh we talk about the revival of the twilight zone television series in the mid 80s which is one of the best hours of television you will ever see
0: you get to see dad West craven in one of those episodes and it is worth it, it
1: really god damn right
0: you're looking for me, you can find me over at the Culture Cast where I talk about movies once to twice a week with my co-host Eric. You can also find me on the Kolchak Tapes where I talk about Kolchak the Night Stalker with Mike White. If you want to check out more about Chronicles from their Crypt, head on over to chroniclesftc.com where you can find out more about the show. You can find out our backlog. We've been doing this now. We're only halfway through season two at this point. So go back, join us for this journey through good, bad, and love triangle episodes galore in this season (laughs) uh big thanks as always to john kassir for the awesome intro and we'll catch you on the next episode